Hello, I am Bob Mooney. I am a Bible teacher in the local body of Christ, and I have been an interim pastor of a home church for a number of years. I hope you find these Bible lessons a blessing and of practical value. Well, this is our second lesson in studying 1 John. And in this lesson, we'll look at the three tests that John lays out to see if we are true believers in Jesus Christ. We'll look at the theological test, the moral test, and the social test. And today we'll look a brief look at these three tests. And as we study the book of 1 John, we'll learn more about these tests and how they apply to our lives as we move forward. Today we'll also look at the structure of 1 John and we'll take a look at Gnosticism that was prevalent in the 2nd century. But first of all, let's review the, for our first lesson. And in that lesson I pointed out that in the coming weeks, John the Elder reassures the church, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that they may know that they have eternal life. He writes as a man who not only knows he knows, but as a man who loves the people of God and wants them to be assured that they have eternal life too, because he has heard, seen, and touched the Son himself. He wants their faith to be based on facts and not feelings. He wants their faith to be based on the firm foundation of the truth of the gospel. Well, let's look at our text today, and it comes from the first four verses in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Well, let's look at the theological test. If you have the right view of Jesus, you're a Christian. You can pass all the other tests, but if you don't have the right view of Jesus, you're not a Christian. An atheist might be nice and a good person, but have the wrong view of who Jesus is. The acid test theologically is this. We must believe Jesus was human and divine together. The 50 cent theological word for this is called the hypostatic union. The essence of Christ's nature is a perfect union between human and divine. He came to this earth both as God and man, both human and divine. He was born a man, but he didn't have the sinful nature. He had the nature of God. People outside the church often have difficulty believing Jesus is God. There are actually so-called Christian denominations who don't accept the fact that Jesus is God. So this begs the question, if they really don't believe that Jesus is God, are they truly a Christian denomination? According to this test, John would say no, 
people inside the church have difficulty believing Jesus is man. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul wrote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. When we are praying to Jesus, we're praying to a man. We don't need to pray to Mary, and we don't need to pray to the saints. The theological error of John's opponents concerned the person of Jesus Christ. You see, they denied he was the Christ. They didn't deny so much that he was the Messiah as they denied his incarnation, that he was God born to mankind. This denial took basically two forms. The ex-Jews, who did not accept the divine Messiahship of Jesus, and the ex-pagans, who did not accept Jesus' full humanity. We will see this in more detail a little later in our study. Well, let's move on to the moral test. A person who has really found Christ has a moral change in their life. A life that keeps the commandments of God is genuine. But we need to realize that it is not keeping the commandments that makes us Christians, but that out of our love for the Lord, we are compelled to keep them. The false teachers were then and that day and are today claiming to know God, to live in Christ, and to be in the light while they themselves are living in unrighteousness and in and unloving relationships. John Stott wrote in his commentary on 1 John, God's self-revelation is ethical, and therefore there can be no fellowship with him without righteousness. And we need to remember that our righteousness is not our own, but only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Living in unrighteousness is a failure of the moral test. By this, I mean a lifestyle of living in sin. I understand that we all have sinned and occasionally still do. And there is redemption in the name of Jesus. Again, we will see more about this in our coming lessons. Our final test is the social test. If you have really found Christ, you will love other Christians. A Christian who does not love other believers is not a genuine Christian. Here again, we need to understand this, is a, this as a lifestyle. Just because there are times in our lives that we fail in this doesn't mean that we're not Christians. Let's face it, there are Christians in all our lives who make this hard for us to do. But we must have as our lifestyle the attitude to love and serve other believers. St. Jerome, who was an early church father, wrote this story of John in extreme old age while he lived in Ephesus. He wrote, They carried John into the church because he couldn't walk. And they asked him, John, do you have a word for us? He would always say the same thing. Little children love one another. A young man asked him, Why do you keep saying the same thing? And according to Jerome, John replied, Because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it will be enough. Well, is this a true story? Did this actually happen? Well, maybe, maybe not. 
history back in those days is hard to find and hard to investigate. But it is certainly true to John's character and his teaching. John wrote in his gospel in John thirteen thirty four through 35, A new command I give you, Jesus said, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. We also see this in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, we will see more of this as we continue our study in 1 John. Well, let's take a minute and look at the structure of 1 John. The letter is structured around the statement, the application, and the elaboration of the three principal tests, the moral, the social, and the theological tests. These tests reveal who are Christians, who are true Christians, and who are those who are false. The counterfeit are those who have made a profession of faith only. In 1 John 2.19, he wrote, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Dr. Ian Bond wrote, There is nothing apologetic about what John writes. He does not hesitate to call certain classes of people liars, deceivers, or antichrists. He supplies tests by which everybody can be sorted into one or two categories. According to their relationship to, these, to his tests, they have God or have not, know God or do not. They have been born of God or have not been born of God. They have life or abide in death. They walk in darkness or in the light, are children of God or are children of the devil. And if you remember, as we started this series, in last week's lessons, I pointed out that John would probably not be considered politically correct today because he does deal in absolutes, something that's very lacking in today's culture. Through these three tests, John lays out the standard by which believers should live. Well, let's move on to Gnosticism. Gnosticism was full-blown in the second century. We need to ask ourselves, what is Gnosticism? It comes from the Greek word gnosko, that means to know or I know. Here, it means a know-it-all. Agnostic means I don't know. Gnostics were know-it-alls. They were originally a pagan group who were quote-unquote enlightened. They had free beliefs, free morals, were into meditation and mysticism. They began to infiltrate the church and said that they came to show a better way. They felt that they were enlightened and they came to enlighten everyone else. They were like the New Age movement of our present day, a mixture of Western intellectualism, 
and Eastern mysticism. They believe that physical matter is fundamentally evil, so that God would never become a physical human being. They believe that Jesus was a, just a man, and that the Christ was a spirit that came upon Jesus as his, at his baptism and left before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the result of this belief, since matter is evil in their eyes, they became either like monks or indulged their flesh because morality and holiness to them didn't matter. The majority of them believed that they could indulge their flesh. So as long as they were quote-unquote enlightened, it didn't matter what you did with your body. And it was regarding these Gnostics that many commentators believe that inspired John to write this book, to come out and point out the false teaching of the Gnostics. Well, John, in his letter, as well as, as in his Gospels, deals with absolutes, light and dark, truth and lies, true believers and false teachers. John, in a loving pastoral way, brings the sword of the Spirit to the church to cut away the false teachings of the day. He does this not by bringing quote-unquote judgment, but to bring correction and clarity so the church will know they have eternal life. Many of today's issues in our culture are there not because of the amount of overwhelming darkness, and believe me, especially today, we see a growing amount of overwhelming darkness, but they're there because of the lack of light coming from the church. Oh, may God bring his division to his church today. I hope you have been blessed by this message. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at rmooney at carolina.rr.com. And thank you for listening.